If you're going to buy a book or borrow a book from the library today, probably there are a few things that you would consider in making that decision. You'd probably look at the title on the spine of the book. You'd look at the front cover, the design, maybe that catches your eye. Maybe you'd look at the back cover of the book and see that there's some blurbs from people about why you should buy this book, why it's so meaningful. Maybe there's even a name from someone you recognize because they're famous. Uh, You'd look at maybe the inside cover and there's a bio of the author. That's how you decide on a book today. In Luke's day, there was no spine or front cover or back cover. There was no dust jacket because his books, his two books that he wrote would both be scrolls. And the only way to determine whether a Greek was going, a Greek could determine whether he should read this book or pick up another book or pick up that scroll or borrow that scroll would be to unroll just a little bit of the scroll and read some of the opening lines. And so it was pretty common in those days when Greeks would write their their scrolls, they'd write on papyrus scrolled up, that the beginning lines would give a description of the book, to kind of give a treatise of what the book was going to be about. And we see that in both of Luke's writings, he gives us these opening lines that tell us what the book is going to be about. Now this year in 2021, we're going to make our way through Luke's Luke's two books. He wrote the gospel of Jesus' life, often referred to as Luke's gospel, and then he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And if you take those two books, there are 52 chapters total. Does anybody know how many many weeks are in in the year? 52. 930 service didn't know. They just they just stared at me blankly. Um, So we're going to go each week. We're going to look at a different chapter. And so we're going to start this year off this first Sunday of the year looking at the opening lines of chapter one. So let's read Luke chapter one, verse one. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Right now, you and I live in the middle of a massive communications shift. There is more content coming to us from an unlimited supply of sources. Right now, every day, 750,000 hours of content is uploaded to YouTube from across the world. That's more video than the three main networks, the three main television networks broadcasted for 30 years. Right now, 5,000 new books are published every day. I like to read, but there's no way that anyone reading all that they could all the time would be able to read even a fraction of the books that are being published. Because we live in a world where there is so much content, people are doing everything they can to get their content noticed. That's the reason we have things like clickbait, links that try to grab our attention so we go to the page. It's the reason people are making their headlines more salacious and scandalous. They're trying to make their writing, their content, their video stand out 
from the rest. Luke needed his scroll to stand out from the rest. But he doesn't stoop to the level of clickbait. He doesn't stoop to the level of sensationalism. But he does remark in the opening lines how his book is different from most. He was making his book stand apart. He refers that many have taken in hand to write of these events. Now, Luke wasn't referring to just Matthew, Mark, and John. Those are the other Gospels that we have in our Bibles today. But he's most likely referring to a whole host of writings about the life of Jesus that would have been out there. People writing their own personal experience of Jesus, writing something that they heard Jesus say, writing their their perspective. What Luke says here is what differentiates him, not so much from the other Gospels in our Bible, but from all of those other books that have been lost to history. And what set Luke's book apart is also what set Matthew, Mark, and John's Gospels apart. It's part of the reason that we have those with us today. Of course, the primary reason that we have these Gospels in our Bible today is because we believe that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that these men wrote as the Spirit gave them the words. Luke was writing his book in the middle of a major communications shift. Not because YouTube had come on the scene or because there were so many people writing books, but there were a lot of people writing scrolls. Because in the time of the Greeks, the Greeks had become infatuated with knowledge and philosophy and learning. And Luke is writing his book his scroll, to a Greek of some standing with the hope that others will read it as well. And so Luke says, these are some things that set my writing apart. First of all, Luke tells us that his book will be based upon the interview of eyewitnesses from the perspective of an insider. Luke's book is different in that he has had inside access to some of the closest followers of Jesus. Now, in Luke's gospel, he doesn't place himself in the narrative of Jesus' life. We don't ever see him showing up in the stories of what Jesus has done. But Luke does place himself in the narrative of the book of Acts. He is a contemporary of Paul and his other missionary companions. And so Luke isn't someone who spent much time in the presence of Jesus, So much as Luke is someone who has spent time in the presence of those who spent time in the presence of Jesus. Now what that means is that Luke's writing will be based upon not personal experience, but his investigation of the personal experiences of many people. I want you to imagine for a moment that I'm going to write your life story. Are you terrified? I'm going to write your life story, but if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to Develop that on more than just my own personal experience. Because I've only known you for a portion of your life, with the exception of two children over here. Everybody else here, I came into your life at some point later on. So to know about that history, I'm going to need to talk to your parents. I've also only known you in the context of church, and maybe you act differently around your pastor than you do other people. So I need to talk to coworkers or family members. What Luke has done is he's gone and he's talked to all of these people who were close to Jesus. Luke's writing is similar to my job. My job every week is to take the ancient truth of Scripture 
and to find what is there and present it to you in a way that you can understand and apply to your life. If I showed up next week and said, listen, I've got some information about Jesus that no one has ever heard before, you can know that I'm not preaching you the truth, but I'm writing fiction because I'm just coming up with stuff. Luke doesn't come up with something new, but he takes the truth of Jesus' life gathered from these sources close to him and presents it in a clear and compelling account of Jesus' life. He's taking the ancient truth of Jesus and he's presenting it in this new format, much like we do every Sunday. We take the ancient truth of Jesus and present it in a format that can be understood and applied in everyday life. And so Luke's writing is similar to what we do on Sundays, but it's also kind of like investigative reporting. In verse 3, there are two words that do a lot of heavy lifting. Luke says, I have had a perfect understanding. If you underline in your Bible, underline perfect understanding. Now Luke isn't like a child who's bragging that they got an A on their report card. He's not saying, listen, I know more than most people. What he's saying is that I have done a careful investigation. That's how some versions translate this. The word here for perfect means to walk circumspectly. How many of you know a perfectionist? How many of you have a perfectionist in your life that made sure that every detail of Christmas dinner was taken care of? There was no aspect of the Christmas gathering that they had not thought about. Some of you are looking at people in the room or on your row. Luke is saying that I have investigated this circumspectly. I've walked all the way around it. I have looked at every aspect of Jesus' life from all of the different angles. And the word for understanding is similar to the word that they would use for follow. Which makes sense because if I say to you right now, hey, are you still following me? I'm asking, are you paying attention and understanding? Luke has investigated, he's followed up on all of these details. That's what makes his writing of Jesus' life different than most. He's investigated it personally. Now, there's an extremely pertinent point to be made from this. Luke writes two books, and both of those books, the final 25% of each book, is dedicated to a trial. For Luke, Luke's gospel, the last 25% of the book is dedicated to the arrest, trial, wrongful conviction, wrongful execution, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The last 25% of the book of Acts is dedicated to the conspiracy, arrest, mistrial of Paul. Acts concludes, Luke finishes that work before Paul is then executed, beheaded by the Romans. In both cases, there is a conspiracy to kill a man. In Luke, it's Jesus. In Acts, it's Paul. In both cases, there was rampant corruption that led to the wrongful death. In both cases, Luke could have produced a book that was about the injustice of the Roman court system and the corruption of the Jewish religious authorities. Luke could have written his book with some really salacious and scandalous details. And he's writing his book to most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent being a term that was used to refer to someone of some social or elite standing. Perhaps Theophilus is someone in power who could make a difference in the Roman court system. But Luke doesn't focus his time and energy there. 
Not because it isn't true, it is. Not because he wants to avoid it, he doesn't. He talks about it. But he focuses his time and energy not on the scandalous or the interesting, rather he focuses his energy and his writing on what is significant. You hear me? We have all become interested in true crime stories or true crime, crime podcasts. We've all become interested in conspiracies and corruption. This past year, I became incredibly interested with the water levels at the Three Gorges Dam. It's this massive dam in China. And the water levels behind it were incredibly high. It looked like the dam might collapse. I had found a live feed where every so often I could tune in and see where they were releasing water to try to get the water levels low. That was interesting. But you know how much it pertained to my life? None. I'm not in China. I didn't help build the dam. I don't know anyone in China. But it was interesting and it was also an escape from the frustrations of quarantine life. So I tuned into it. And right now, you and I are drowning in a sea of information and misinformation. Some of it true, some of it not true, all of it interesting. And so we know all about stuff that is absolutely insignificant to our lives. We know about details of things that are happening in Washington, D.C. that will not affect us. But we don't know what's happening in our own county court system. The information that Luke writes is information that is truly significant and applies to us. And Luke writes down what we really need to know. And he writes down what is significant and he focuses on meaning because he focuses on the meaning of Jesus' life. I'm begging you. In this massive upheaval of information and content in our world today, let's not lose sight of what we really need to know. Jesus. Jesus. Luke tells us here that he's writing to, writing to most excellent Theophilus, who is a Greek. Luke's writing is different, not only because it's like that of an investigative reporter, not only because it's that of, of the inside track with eyewitness accounts, but also because he's writing to a Greek audience. Now, Matthew wrote his gospel with the Jews in mind. For that reason, it's filled with prophecies and Jewish traditions and ceremonies. Mark wrote his gospel for the Romans. For that reason, it's written to people who were building empires, conquering peoples. They were part of this massive political system. That gospel focuses on the actions and deeds of Jesus. John's gospel is written to mankind, and it's refer it refers to Jesus as the creator God. But Luke is writing his gospel to the Greeks, writing to that subset of people within the Roman Empire who were focused on philosophy and art and literature and, and music. And so for that reason, he fills his book with insights and interviews and songs and details that will fascinate and capture the inquiring mind. In verse 3, there are another two words that do a lot of heavy lifting underlined this orderly account. In the King James, the phrase is, is, is broken up across the two verses. It says, in order that, O oh, most excellent Theophilus, you might have faith in the certainty of these things. But the idea in the King James and the New King James is the same. Luke is not just giving us a, an account that is ordered by chronology. He's not just giving us an account that gives us each detail as it happened. 
He's giving us an account that gives us each detail which is significant and points to the meaning of the life that Jesus lived. John would tell us that if every detail about Jesus' life, every action that he did, if it was written, that the world would not be able to contain the books needed to do it. Obviously, Luke cannot include every detail. He includes a lot. He gives us more miracles than any of the other gospel writers, but he focuses on those details that will show us the meaning and significance of Jesus' life. How many of you have a friend that whenever they tell a story, they always include details that don't matter to the story? They get hung up on a detail that doesn't even connect to the punchline or the result of the story. Luke is giving us all of the details that are needed. He's got to scroll only a certain length. He knows that he needs to include this information that will show us the meaning and significance of Jesus' life. So that is what he focuses on. He focuses on writing to Theophilus and us an account that's carefully investigated, carefully presented, so as to give us the greatest understanding of the meaning of Jesus' life. And Luke's going to lay out the story of Jesus' life with beautiful moments, some songs and dramatic scenes. And they're going to come in chronological order, but most importantly, Luke's going to deliver them in a way that will make us certain in our faith that Jesus is God. That what has been handed down to us is true. Now, with the changes that happened this past year, it became increasingly obvious that you have lots of options for preachers to listen to. During the quarantine, the difference between listening to our live stream and a world-renowned preacher half a world away was really just the difference of two or three clicks. You could have listened to whoever you wanted. During quarantine, our denomination asked me and our media commission, the group of guys that put together content for our national conventions to do a presentation on live stream and online worship experiences. Now that team is, is, is stacked with some guys who really know a lot of technical info. One of the guys on the team handles the live streams of classes and labs for the East Carolina School of Nursing. They handled all of the details, but this was my point that I shared. I said, once you have the basics down where people can see you and hear you, don't get too caught up in the production. Because there are plenty of places where people can go and see high production value. There are world-renowned pastors with staff and directors and production managers on their church staff. And if they want to listen for high production, they can find that anywhere. You focus on speaking to your congregation, to the people in your community. Because what that world-renowned pastor cannot do is he cannot speak to the condition of your town. He cannot call out your people's name in prayer. I cannot compete with the production value of Andy Stanley or Stephen Furtick or Craig Groeschel. But here's something that I know that they do not know. I know the brokenness of Chandler and the needs of Faith Church. And so my decision for us to go through Luke this year is based upon that. And just as Luke, writing to the Greeks, shaped the context and the content the way it was delivered. My challenge to you this year and leading you through this writing is focused on what is needed here and now among this group of people. My challenge to you this year is that every week you read the chapter that we have just covered in Sunday morning service. You read that chapter on your own. 
Now, some of you have a Bible reading plan, and you're going to read the whole Bible through this year like you did last year, and that is great. I don't want to mess with that at all. I'm not asking you to stop that. I don't want to interrupt that. I'd encourage you to add this to it, to add whatever chapter we've just gone over. My hope is that as I preach through these chapters this year, that it will whet your appetite for the rest of the content in the chapter that I will not be able to cover each Sunday. Because there's gold in every one of these chapters that I'm going to have to set aside and focus on just four verses out of this chapter of 70 verses. But I'm asking you to read a chapter a day or a chapter a week. For some of you, it might be a good idea to read that chapter each day, maybe in a couple of different versions, maybe again and again each day of the week so that you begin to understand what it is that you're reading. And I'm asking this because some of you aren't reading your Bible at all. And before we get to a, a moment that I want to point out at the end of this chapter, let me just say this so that I'm clear. As your pastor, I expect you to read your Bible and pray every day. If for some reason you have gotten the impression that that is just something for special forces Christians, it's not. You should know that spending time with Jesus is a prerequisite for following Jesus. You can't follow someone you've never been with. Joel Green, who wrote the great commentary on the Gospel of Luke, said that the disciples found out that following Jesus is mostly about being with Jesus. How can you follow Jesus if you're never with him? How can you follow Jesus if you never learn of him? How can your life become like Jesus if you don't even know him? The disciples, they would need to hear some really important information from Jesus but they most importantly needed to be with him, to trust him, to watch him, to spend time with him. That is what made them like him. I'm not preaching through Luke to give you information. I'm preaching through Luke in an attempt to bring you into the presence of Jesus and convince you to practice the presence of Jesus. And that will bring about transformation in your life. I believe that the most important thing that we can do as Faith Church in Chandler, Indiana, that the most important thing that we can do right now is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples when he showed up in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, in the hillsides, was to spend time with them to prepare them for the movement that would come after. He came to be with them. I am so thankful for Zoom and live streaming. I'm thankful that right now there are people who don't feel comfortable gathering with us in person, and so they are watching this message while you're hearing it in person. I'm thankful that when people are exposed to someone, they don't have to make the decision of, do I just not listen to the message? They can, they can still engage with us from where they're at. However, I believe that there is inc something incredibly important and powerful about being in the presence of one another. Not just for the time of me preaching, but for the purpose of building relationships and doing life together. If the disciples merely needed information, God could have just sent the angels to them. And in Luke 1, we have the story of God doing that twice. He sends the angel to speak to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. We see God send his angel to speak to Jesus' mother, Mary. If they just needed messages... Jesus could have sent angels to Peter and James and John and Matthew. 
but he made it a point to come and be with them. And it's, it's amazing to me, it's striking to me that in the verses that we just read, Luke, who does not tell us that he was ever physically present with Jesus, says what to Theophilus? Look at verse 1. And as much as many have taken in hand in order to set a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. First of all, the word fulfilled means this isn't just something that happened. This is something that God fulfilled, that he had a purpose and a plan and an intention. God was at the helm for all of this, but... Luke says, it happened among us. And it happened among Luke only because it happened among Peter and James and John and they taught Luke. Luke was with people who were with people. Luke was with people who were with Jesus. That presence of learning the way of discipleship was huge. And then Luke refers to Theophilus and says, among us. God has done these things among us because God has come to be present with us, Emmanuel. I believe that if we learn to spend time with Jesus, he is doing his work among us, that we will then become like Jesus and we will quite naturally do those things that Jesus called us to do. But I am unable to convince you to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do if you are nothing like Jesus. And you will not become like Jesus if you do not spend time with Jesus. And so on Sunday mornings, I will attempt to whet your appetite, and I will pray that you experience the presence of Jesus here in this place, but this can only be a sampling of what you must practice yourself. The church is to provide a Christian community and an environment where you can come and feel welcome and safe and experience the truth of God's word and the presence of the Spirit. But we cannot practice the presence of Jesus for you. The church is called to be a harbor where ships can be brought. Ships that were broken and battered and lost at sea can come to the harbor and be made safe and secure. That's what we sang about earlier, leaning on the everlasting arms, resting safe and secure. But Dallas Willard pointed out that if ships are broken and battered at sea and they lose their sails from the mast or their engine is, is torn apart, that they can be brought into the harbor and tied off to the dock and made safe and secure. But they will never be safe and sound until new sails are rigged or the engine is rebuilt. A ship with a broken down engine can be brought to harbor and be made safe and secure but it will not be safe and sound until it has the power to return to the seas and ships are safe in harbor but ships are designed for the sea and disciples should feel safe in their congregation and among God's people but disciples are meant to go out into this broken battering world and we will never have the power to do that if you do not practice the presence of Jesus in your everyday life. I've been walking a lot at the riverfront. My doctor has asked me to walk on a regular basis, and so I'm trying to walk every day at the riverfront. And what you see at the riverfront at the Ohio River is a lot of barges. Barges being pushed by tugboats. And the other day I was walking, and I was looking at another line of barges being pushed up the Ohio by this tugboat, just under steam, there's black smoke billowing out from its smokestack, 
is obviously working very hard to push these barges up the river against the flow of the current. And it struck me that most Christians in the church today are like barges. They can float along, but they have no power in and of themselves. And the only way that we can get them from point A to point B is for very powerful Christians working incredibly hard, pushing them. And what happened in quarantine is all of the barges broke free. And it's pretty impossible to bring them all back together. Stop being a barge. Stop depending upon powerful believers who are practicing the presence of Jesus to pull you and push you along. You will never be able to go against the current of this broken world unless you develop the presence of Jesus in your own personal life. And I know that this makes some of you uncomfortable. But if you are unwilling to read your Bible and spend time in prayer, if you are unwilling to personally practice the presence of Jesus, you might need to find a church that doesn't care if you read your Bible. And that's only halfway a joke. I believe that when you're present with, present with Jesus, powerful things will happen among you and among us. But only when you spend time in his presence. Let me point something out at the end of Luke, chapter 1. Verses 39 to 46. Luke has told us the story of an angel appearing to John the Baptist's father and says that they are going to have a child even though they are both well-stricken in age. Anybody else feel well-stricken in age? Then the angel comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to bear the Son of God, Jesus and in that conversation, he tells Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is also great with child. And so Mary travels to be with her cousin. And when she enters the door of the house and greets Elizabeth, the baby inside of Elizabeth in her womb leaps for joy at the sound of the voice of the mother of Jesus. There's this beautiful moment where an infant in the womb responds to the presence of the Savior. Now listen, when Nicole was carrying our children, it was a beautiful thing when you could put your hand on her stomach and you could feel them kick. But as cool as that was, it was much, much better when they had been delivered and we held them in our arms. They were present with us. The presence of Jesus is so very powerful that while he is yet in the womb of Mary, John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth responds and jumps for joy while yet in the womb. The presence of Jesus here on earth among us is so powerful that even though yet Jesus is in utero, it has this impact upon John the Baptist, who is also still in the womb. And this is Luke foreshadowing the fact that Jesus' presence would be powerful among people. 
And Elizabeth testifies that John the Baptist has leaped in her womb, and then Mary responds in song and sings, My soul does magnify the Lord. In other words, at the very depths of my core and my being, I give God praise because he has come to be present among us. And so Luke begins his gospel of Jesus' life talking about the power of Jesus here on earth. But then he begins his second book, in the book of Acts, about that presence ascending and God sending the Spirit. And the Spirit coming to reside in the hearts of every believer. And that same power and presence that was in the womb of Mary is now offered to every heart of every believer. And God help us if we neglect that presence, which has been offered to be among us. Because without the presence of Jesus, we are just barges going with the flow. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that as we study your word and get to know you, Lord, as we practice your presence in our lives, Lord, that the covenant promises that are written here, in these pages would move us. Lord, that we would no longer be ships that are tossed to and fro. Lord, that we would not be people who are just carried on with the current of this broken world. But Lord, that we would stand on firm ground in the truth of your word. God, I pray that this year you would make us a powerful, creative core of people who practice the presence of Jesus. God, make us a fleet of ships as we stand upon your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who came to be among us. Amen.